When you work in educational leadership, you don't get off at five o'clock. Your mind is always on the clock, thinking of ways to solve problems for your students, parents, and teachers. On the Clock is your go-to podcast to learn valuable insights from education leaders across the United States. I'm your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, former White House appointee to the U.S. Department of Education, and we are now On the Clock. Welcome back to On the Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. I am that guy, your host of the show today, uh, a conversation regarding special education. We've dove into that topic recently uh, with our interview with Aaron Spence from Virginia Beach. We did a a sort of individual case study on a program that he has to move students from school to professional work. Uh, Really good interview. And today I wanted to take a broader look at special education across America. And our guest is a perfect person to do that. His name is Kendall Mason. He's the director for special education in Twin Falls, Idaho. And he's also president of the national organization called CASE, uh, which is the Council of Administrators of Special Education. Kendall, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Hope you're doing well today. Doing great. Thank you. It's beautiful here in Idaho today. So appreciate the uh, time to join you. Well, as we as we tape this, uh, as for our listeners, it's uh, it's fall has really sprung across the East Coast. We have a hurricane down in Florida. And uh, if you've never been to Idaho, I tell everybody, make it a priority to get to that state. It, it is, uh, offers some of the most beautiful views and some of the most wonderful people you will meet across America in, in one little tidy state. I, I love it. I've been there a million times. Uh, we would agree. That's why we, we love it here. Uh, my family and I spend a lot of time outdoors uh, whenever we have time off. That's our Idaho is a great outdoor rec- recreational state. Love it. So I, I have been working now, I guess, 17, 18 years in education outside of government. I I spent four years working in government on education. Special education to me, um, as I look at it from the outside, looking in to your world, Kendall, the special education director really uh, starts off along that path and then, and, 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 and becoming a director at a district uh, really is uh, a specialty role. It's, I, I sort of liken it to uh, somebody who focuses on the defensive side of, 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 of football, you, you, you become known as a person who focuses on that one area. And, and it sort of feels that way, doesn't it, in special education? Absolutely. Uh, special education directors oftentimes feel a little isolated from the rest of the group um, and siloed a little bit. And absolutely. We're, it's a unique position with a lot of laws. Um, you know, it's a heavy duty position. And so you have to be very specific. So it's hard to know a lot about it unless you really specialize in the area. I I tend to think that superintendents that I know a lot of superintendents and I I feel like they're the negative of being siloed is also presents the positive of having some liberty and freedom to really uh, run your your office like the way you want to, because I, I doubt that superintendents have even a fraction of the background and skill set with regards to special education as a director would. Uh, there obviously are some going to be some superintendents who have a background in that, um, and they're, I would say, outliers. But for the most part, I, do you feel like you have some liberty to to run your office the way you want to because you're the expert? Yeah, I actually think uh, that's why superintendents and school districts uh, have special education directors is that's our job. Our role is to be the experts in that area. Uh, to problem solve, to bring those problems to the table, 
And they're expecting us to have the answers um, and be part of that team. What is the history of special education in, in America? It wasn't always such that students with special needs were, were allowed to go to school or even their parents even thought about sending them to school. Was there a moment in the history of special education in, in our country where uh, the light went on and we, we felt like we, we could really move the needle educationally? Yeah, I mean, we still say that was recent, but uh, in 1975 is when the Individual with Disabilities Act came into play. And at that time, only about one in five students with disabilities even attended school, where today we've moved to a point where about 70% of our students with disabilities are with their general education peers, 80% or more of the school day. Um, when when IDEA first came around, uh, it was about just giving, you know, letting students come to school. Um, now we've moved beyond that to now we, uh, more inclusive practices where they're part of the school community, they're learning, working on the standards that other kids are working on, um, and then they're an integral part of what we do in schools versus just attending. Um, you know, in 1975, when they first started coming, students with disabilities, a lot of times they were isolated somewhere else um, you know, maybe in a trailer off in the corner or uh, in a part of the school. And even in the 80s, when I went to school, uh, you know, I just don't remember seeing a lot of students with disabilities uh, around the school. We knew that we knew their school was kind of off in the corner. Um, and now uh, they're they're part of the school system. They're eating lunch with kids or in general education classrooms uh, with accommodations and supports. Um, so we've moved from just coming to school in 1975 to actually being part of the school com community today. I, I was in grade school around 75. Uh, my mom was a teacher at the school, so that meant um, that I spent a lot of time at that school waiting for her to get done in the, in the uh, afternoons. And in our school, we had really uh, a school just to the side of our school that was clearly um, meant for special needs students across a wide spectrum, um, near as I could tell as a 12 year old kid in 1970, whatever that was. And, uh, I don't even have a vivid memory of them, of them being included into classes. I think that may have happened after I left. Was that a huge debate for a while? Was that a, um, you know, in, in general education, we've, we've moved, I think somewhat past the whole debate we're always debating in education, right? What's the right way to do something? Like phonics was a real battle forever. And I think, I think they've even changed the name of phonics to something else. Has inclusion been the phonics version for, of special education as far as a debate within that community? I think early on, I mean, there certainly was, uh, you know, should students with disabilities in schools, how much should they participate? Um, but, you know, right now, I don't think there's really debate. I think we all value uh, equity for everyone and everyone should be going to school. So I think we've moved off that. Um, I think where we really debate the whole thing in inclusion is when we have people that, that go to the extremes, they either promote only full inclusion or, uh, you know, separate schooling for students with disabilities. And really, uh, we're charged with providing a continuum of education for our students with disabilities based on their needs, you know, not so much just picking a stance. Um, and then trying to provide those supports to keep them with their peers as much as possible on that continuum. So what is 
the current state of special education today, we you, you one of the things um, that we're all learning now. I I just was recently told that Baltimore City Schools is going to have a virtual education for their students, something that would have been uh, inconceivable three years ago prior to COVID. I, I was also struck very early during COVID when I talked to some chief academic officers who were quite concerned about how they were going to deliver virtual education to uh, all students, but particularly the special needs students. What, what have been some of the lessons learned since COVID um, in that community from your, I would say from your perch uh, as a national voice on this topic? Um, what, what are you hearing from around the country? And are, are, as in so many cases, are we doing things a little differently now based on some of the lessons we learned in special education? Uh, you know, I think we are across the country and I know certainly in my district. I mean, we learned some valuable lessons and, you know, I think early on where people were saying, you know, how are we going to educate students online? This isn't going to work. And I think we were underestimating our students' abilities personally. Um, you know, I think we've learned that actually online environment is great for some kids. We have some kids that have anxiety issues and, you know, the these larger schools that we have, and uh, especially high schools and all the hustle and bustle and they, they just did a lot better on in that online environment. And we're finding, you know, that we need to provide that option for all students, not just students with disabilities. Um, another thing we really learned is how important parent partnerships are. Um, you know, for some of our students that have some more significant needs, we had to really rely on partners in that online environment, whether it was parents or grandparents or caregivers at home with those students, you know, to help us uh, to help us reach those students. And one of the things that uh, really fascinated me is we met with quite a few parents after the pandemic and the virtual learning. And there were a lot of parents who uh, said things like, man, I learned a lot. That teacher was amazing. I learned a lot of strategies to help me with my, my student at home. Uh, you know, the speech therapist, it was so nice to sit there virtually and watch the speech therapist and, and see how they interacted with my student and did things like chase your tongue back and all those things that speech therapists do to, to cue kids. And parents were actually learning those skills to then carry out at home. So I think those were certainly positives that came out of that. I, I've always said that if you look at the spectrum of, of parent involvement in American education, you know, you have um, some parents who are almost not involved at all. Um, sometimes they don't really need to be. Their kids are doing really well and the parents uh, avoid school like the plague and it all works out just fine. In other cases, not so great. I would say at the, at the head of, of, of parental involvement are special education parents who are... Uh, the most sophisticated regarding funding streams, program availability. Uh, I would imagine that part of your job is, is constantly communicating with that incredible advocacy organization that is the everyday mom and dad who have a, a special needs student. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of our job is to help families, not just students, help families reach out to the services that are available. Uh, you know, how, how can they find some of that funding stream, whether it's helping them with Medicaid, uh, you know, even having our social workers help fill out some of the cumbersome paperwork. And absolutely, that's a big part of our job. Another big part of our job is just to advocate for students and families with disabilities uh, legislatively. You know, uh, I've always told people our job as a special ed education director is much more than just running 
special education programs in our in our districts, we have a higher calling, and that's to advance the field, help families and students across this country. Well, just just as you are the expert on on special needs within your school district, um, going to Boise, I'm sure you you're dealing with citizen legislators who, in, in many cases, are uh, only there for a short period of time to do the legislative business of Idaho. They're there for what ninety days or so, um, and educating legislators is probably a, a full time job with regards to your your position. Is just letting them know what you need and 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 where the shortages are, where the problems are, and I want to kind of dive into that as well. What what are some of the challenges you're facing right now in special education? Uh, uh, and I would imagine they they would mirror everything we're hearing on regular education, which would be teacher shortage, bus drivers, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now you hear probably the most thing affecting the majority of us are staff shortages. I used to say educator shortages, but it's grown beyond that. Um, You know, you can every day you open up the newspaper or read online. There's always something going on with transportation, food service, janitorial services. Uh, You know, we we we've uh, we know that people are subbing district office staff are going in and subbing when there's a shortage of subs. So it's it's moved beyond us just saying there's an educator shortage. It's a staffing shortage in all of schools from janitorial services to related services. Um, You know, special education's somewhat always been a, a hard positions to fill. Um, but right now we're really uh, probably at a crisis level. Well, I would not probably, but we are at a crisis level. Um, with and I'm worried in the future as we move forward, if we don't do something, it's it's not going to get better. Uh, and it can't just be local area directors or school districts trying to entice teachers. This is going to have to be a um, all hands on deck effort um, from the federal level clear down to the local level and and even in the community level. I, one of the first things I ever worked on in, in, in my business was, uh, you may remember some, something called No Child Left Behind, which had um, uh, some really tough things to, to try to accomplish, and, and they've changed those. And, and there, there were some other aspects of the, of the law that were, were looked upon, uh, I think, more favorably. And one of those was tutoring, um, providing tutoring. And, and in Idaho, uh, I, I reached out to the su- superintendent of Idaho back in 2005 or so, and we we realized that this whole concept of uh, meeting these standards um, it was impossible to find tutors in rural Idaho, right? I mean that's uh, something that the, the people that put these policies together um, didn't really put together from Washington D.C. and understanding that the challenges of rural America, and so they put together a tutoring uh, online tutoring. Uh, is 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 online an option for related services uh, from speech pathology to uh, occupational therapy to mental health? Uh, is that an area where that could be filling some gaps? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, currently in my district, we do online uh, speech therapy with about 155 students um, due to the lack of finding speech pathologists. Um, we've done occupational therapy online. There's mental health, um, and and there's many companies across the country that people are accessing to help partner and provide those services for us. Um, and they certainly are a, an option, and, and many of us are having to use those options. I I, um, I think that most people would think that 
uh, instinctively that general education would be the, the leader and, and special education would learn the lessons of hundreds of years of American education and follow along. But I've also talked to you and others that actually that's in many ways quite the, the reverse is true, that some of the techniques that special education have put together, whether it be progress monitoring, uh, other ways of, of individualized learning has been an area that special education has led the way with regards to uh, having education, general education follow. What, what's some of the history of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my mind, there's probably three big things that have evolved from special education and then, and then moved into general, general education environment. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of talk about explicit systematic instruction in general education, um, precision teaching. Uh, ha, uh, that's where it has its roots is in precision teaching and then response to intervention. And those three things actually started in special education. Um, explicit systematic instruction started clear back in like 1968 with uh, Dr. Sid Engelman, who wrote a direct instruction program for students that is still in play today. Um, so it's been in the special ed realm that well or that long. Um, and the same with response to intervention with the reauthorization of IDEA in 2004. Uh, that's where response to intervention came about. But special education is somewhat like response to intervention where you identify the strengths and needs of a student. Uh, you put a plan of intervention plan in place for that student. You progress monitor that student and you adjust those interventions and you use data to make, make those decisions. And those three things really, uh, to me, stick out that came out of special education and then moved into general education. Do you think that's because when we first invented general education, you know, where we were a country that was dominated by rural education, we, um, we didn't look to differentiate instruction for the student. We didn't say things like, well, he's a visual learner. Um, it was really much more of an industrial model. And I, it feels, or at least it seems to me that special education has always had to take in uh, a really uh, deep understanding that these students in, in many cases are, are so different one by one by one. And, and, and understanding that difference has been something that has been eye-opening to general education and, and understanding that we can't have this as an industrial model. It has to take into account uh, the challenges, the, the, the genius, the, the individual differences of every student. Well, absolutely. And as society has grown uh, and we've changed, education needs to change, which I think it is. We're adapting, um, you know, to, to meet society's needs. But uh, students have grown. Uh, we, we've, we have more students, right, from the old single schoolhouse, uh, you know, where a teacher just had a few students. Uh, teachers now have, you know, 30 kids in their class classes. Uh, so there's more students, more diversity in that classroom, and we need to address those different needs that are in those classrooms. I always baseline it by using the example of Little House on the Prairie. Everybody seems to know what that <laughs> looks like, if they've yeah. remembered watching that show. Um, Kendall, as president of CASE, the Council for Administrators of Special Education, tell me, that is an international group, is it not? And I would love to sort of give your sense on the state of special ed, not just across the country, but around the world. Where, uh, from your vantage point in that organization, where are we compared to other countries? Americans love to compare themselves to other countries. Where where are we uh, in, in this realm uh, versus, say, 
the UK or uh, or Korea, for example? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I would say, Case, we are an international professional education organization. Um, we're affiliated with the Council for Exceptional Children. We're a unit of, of that. Uh, there are 22,000 members in the Council for Exceptional uh, children across the nation or the world. Um, there's about 5,000 uh, members of the count, Council of Administrators of Special Education. We're the largest subdivision unit of the Council for Exceptional Children. Um, you know, our mission is to provide leadership, the CASE mission is to provide leadership and support uh, to special education administrators and, and to shape policy and practices that impact education. Um, you know, like I said, our mission is larger than just what we're doing in our schools and our classrooms. And, and going back to your question about around the world, um, you, you know, it's kind of like even every state, you hit it on a little bit with the ruralness of Idaho. Uh, you know, it looks much different here in Idaho for us than it does somewhere like te a Texas or a Florida or a place with vast resources. And, and I really think, you know, internationally, that's what you see. A lot of it depends on the economic status of the country, um, you know, uh, the, the countries that have a higher economic uh, value have better educational systems. I mean, there are still countries that don't allow students with disabilities to go to school with other students. Um, you know, they're, they're still pre-1975 for us. Um, so you have a conference, your national conference, I guess it's in some ways an international conference coming up. Uh, in October in Salt Lake City, what, what's the general? Is there a general theme to this year's conference that you're um, that that you know every conference has a theme? What's your theme? Yeah, so ours is facing the future together um, because we're better together. Uh, you know, uh, um, I, I listened to a speaker th this fall. I can't remember his name, but he I loved it. He said the smartest person in the room is the room. And that's what's really great about going to, you know, the case conference is, you know, we talked about how special education directors are a very specific field and can be somewhat isolated at times from the rest of the educational community. Um, this is a great time for us to get together, talk about the issues that are going around uh, the country uh, and internationally for any members that come to our conference um, to re-energize ourselves, find out that I'm not the only one struggling with a staff shortage. You are as well, um, and to, and to connect for uh, when you need something. I mean, I have a vast net professional learning network through my involvement with Case. If I need a form or I need help with something, I'll get on the email or a phone call and and call somebody in another state and say, "Hey, what are you doing? I I, I really need some help." So that's the beauty of the conference is connecting. Uh, and actually, this year our conference is in uh, beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, it is a beautiful state as well. It is uh, November 9th through the 11th. Um, we have uh, 700 attendees right now registered for wow. the conference. This will be one of our biggest conferences ever. Um, and really, it is the only event geared toward just special education administrators or those that oversee special education, for instance, principals in their building overseeing it. This is the biggest event, professional development event that anywhere for special education administrators. We have 67 breakout sessions on some of the hottest topics in special education today. There's 81 speakers that will be uh, presenting at those. 
Um, we have four amazing keynote speakers, uh, one on human connection with Joe Beckman, which is very important after we came off this pandemic. How do we connect to each other as adults? How do we connect to our students? Uh, Lori Desatel, how adversity has impacted all of us, uh, students uh, and, and, and uh, staff. We have an expert legal panel. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Julie Weatherly, but she's a premier expert in the legal realm of special education. Dr. Kevin Rubenstein, Brandon Wright, and Dr. Dr. Tim Harvard will be doing a, uh, a panel on the, the most current legal issues. Uh, we're very excited that the director of Office of Special Education Programs, uh, Valerie Williams, will be at in attending as well. And she's also doing a town hall session to connect with local directors. John O'Connor, he's an author who wrote Great Instruction, Great Achievement uh, for Students with Disabilities. He'll be there as well. Kendall, what's your, uh, can people go uh, online and look at the agenda and all the attendees for this? Give them a, a URL if you'd like, and we'll put that in the notes. Yeah, our, our, uh, our, our website is kcec.org. Uh, go under the events tab and they can see the agenda. They can register. Um, you know, hotels are filling up pretty fast. So our host hotels have reached capacity. So if people are going, they probably need to get, get, did, get with Did it. you pick Salt Lake City because it was an easy drive for you from, from Idaho? Admit <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Salt Lake City was actually supposed to be during the pandemic and we had to cancel. <laughs> and so it, it has been put off. We try to we try to move the conference around to the West and the East and the Midwest so that, you know, I mean, that is one reason so that, you know, people from our area out here in the West can get to a conference without having to fly clear, clear across the United States every year. Well, Kendall Mason, you are the Director of Special Education Services for Twin Falls, Idaho, President of CASE. Excited about your conference coming up. I really appreciate you being on the show and uh, look forward to meeting you in person very soon. Well, I really appreciate your time uh, and it, it's been wonderful. And I heard you might be attending the conference. I, I can't wait. It'll be my first. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be glad to have you. My first case, not my first conference. I've got more badges than I know what to do with. So this will be a new badge I can put on behind my desk. Thank you so much, Kendall Mason. Really appreciate you being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. On the Clock is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of shows, please visit us at strategosgroup.com. See you next time.